the reason why tonight's going to be a little bit different is because we're going to be talking about sex. And even though Cody wanted to do Let's Talk About Sex as the opening song, uh, that got vetoed. So you can just imagine that in your mind, that that just happened. Uh, So get, get all that nervous laughter out. Go ahead and just get that out there. Uh, let me, let me kind of say a couple things before we get, we get started here. Um, so I'm going to teach for a while, and then we're going to sing a little bit, and I'm going to teach some more. Uh, and it's just going to be a really teaching-heavy night, because rather than, rather than go two weeks, uh, we're just going to do one. Um, we have uh, like kind of a, a kid's church thing that's going on right now, and... Uh, our interns are there, and what, what they're doing back there is the, the kids are going through the Tupperware gospel, and they're making their own as they go through it. And so that's going to be that's gonna be really good, I think, for them that's going on. And so uh, we wanted to have them in there so that we could be like, pretty honest and uh, candid about some things in here. Uh, so let me, let me say a couple things before we get started. One, uh, there will probably be some unintentional uh, innuendo that happens tonight. So I apologize if I say something and you're like, whoa, that sounded weird. Uh, just know I'm not trying to be funny or coy or whatever. It's just, it's just kind of how things are uh, in our world. So uh, if I say something, try to like uh, restrain like the inner like Beavis and Butthead that is in all of us uh, and, you know, whatever. Just know that's not what I was going for. Um, the second thing, if you, are, if you are here and you are single, this is definitely for you. Um, I know that, that uh, I mean, I've been around church long enough to know that when, when the sermon topic is on like marriage or family or sex, a lot of times single people tend to just be like, well, this isn't for me. This is absolutely for you. Okay. So that's, so single people don't, don't check out, uh, married people, you guys, uh, I'm going to say some things that you're just not going to like. And, and I'm okay with that. And you're probably okay with that. You're probably used to that. Uh, I'm going to say some things that you're not going to like, and I'm going to say some things that you probably don't agree with. And instinctively, I want you to fight the, fight the, uh, the knee-jerk reaction to just dismiss whatever it was I just said because I'm not married. Uh, and, and I know like, that might sound kind of silly, but there are people who do that a lot. And uh, they're on board, they're on board, they're on board, and I say something they don't like, and like, oh, well, you're not married, you don't really know. Uh, and so I would just encourage you to resist that, that just because I'm not married doesn't mean that I'm uh, unable to pull from what the Bible has to say about this subject. The Bible has a lot to say about it. And so um, I would just, I guess the big encouragement would be for, every, for all of us to really be humble and admit the fact that uh, when it comes to sex and sexuality, we live in a world that's constantly lying to us. And we, a lot of times, are buying into those lies and so tonight could be a night where, where God uh, uproots some of those things and rips some of those lies out and replaces them with what's true. So, um, so let me pray for us, and then we're gonna, uh, we'll just get right to it here. Lord, thank you so much for, um, for everyone that is here tonight and is gathered together. And we thank you, Lord, in advance for what you have handed down uh, for our kids tonight, that in the fellowship hall right now, uh, three very faithful and solid interns are explaining to them the fundamentals of identity and sin and the goodness of the gospel. 
And so, Lord, we ask that you would uh, just really just move during that time, that in something as as simple as that uh, Tupperware demonstration, uh, God, that you would use that to um, to really just speak to each one of those uh, precious ones that are there. And Lord, for what you're going to do in this place, uh, we admittedly um, struggle to really like maintain a really solid and holy view of sex. And so we need your help. So help us to to be humble enough to receive the truth from your word and to be uh, open to whatever it is that you want to uh, do in our hearts and in our minds tonight. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, let's go to Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to start off and uh, I want to I kind of build a, a biblical and theological um, understanding for us about sex and what the Bible has to say, and um, what the Bible doesn't have to say. And so we're going to sit in a couple of these truths for a little bit, and then we're going to sing in response, and, um, and I, th- I think that'll make sense when, when we get there. And then after, after that, we're going to go through seven patterns of the world in regard to sex that I believe um, are really destroying us if we uh, buy into them. And then we're going to look at what the Bible has to say, and and look how that exchange can happen. Okay, so so there are four four components, uh, and there's there, for the first part, and there's a lot more. And this is a topic that I mean it could just be taught on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so as far as like a one one time thing, uh, four four deals as far as uh, having a good understanding uh, of sex. Uh, the first one is that God is pro sex. Uh, he's, he's for sex. Uh, it's his creation. It's his idea. And he only makes good things. There's a lot of Christians out there who think that sex is dirty, inappropriate, of the devil, you know, whatever. Um, and, and I understand like, where that comes from. Because we certainly live in a world where... Uh, the enemy and sin and our flesh and all that stuff has made it into something that it should not be. But we as Christians have to have a, like a really solid foundation in understanding that God is the author of sex. He is pro-sex. He's, he's for it. Okay, so Genesis chapter 2, this is where we see, uh, this is where we see this for the first time. Starting in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Okay, so all the, all the animals come from, from the ground. Okay, uh, but none of those were fit. So verse 21, So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. 
And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Okay? So, uh, let me just like, interject this. On behalf of all wives, guys, it's not okay to refer to your wife as your rib. Just don't do that. Please. Moving on. Then the man said, okay, so look back at 22. Uh, look at 22 again. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So all the animals come from the dirt, but, but his wife comes from within him, from his own rib, that God takes this out and, and makes Eve right there. And notice that it says, uh, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So God makes makes the wife and then like brings her like presents her to the man. I think there's something I think there's something to that. This was notice like God God designed this like he knows what's about to happen and he's on board like he this is a good thing. Uh, this is the man's reaction. The man said, "This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh." She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. And that seems like a strange response to us at first. Uh, he just he bursts into like poetry, uh, and when you when you study it in the original language, like this is a, this is a very positive response. And we also know that she's naked, and he's naked, and so here's the beginning of the Bible. There's God, there's a naked Adam, and he makes Eve, she also is naked, and he like brings her to uh, Adam, and Adam, like he can't even form words, he has to go like poetic in order to describe how uh, grateful he is for this gift that God has given him. And so God is, like he's created this, he's the, uh, he's the author of this, he's for this. If he was against it, then he... He like wouldn't. He, this scenario would not be happening, but it is happening. And so, verse twenty-four says, "Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, when you read between the lines, right there. Okay, Adam and Eve had sex with each other. That's what's going on here. They leave father and mother, okay, and that's, that's to, to come later on in the story because there aren't parents there yet, I get that. But to be joined to one another and the two becoming one, that is sexual, okay? This, this happens on a couple of levels, and we'll talk about this in a second, but what's being described here is a sexual encounter between Adam and Eve who God made and gave them to each other. God is pro-sex. And, and there's something about studying the Bible that we have, to, we have to keep in mind, that the Bible is a story and it unfolds a certain way. And we haven't gotten to chapter 3 yet. In chapter 3, that's where sin enters into the world. That's where everything gets changed. And that's when they become ashamed of the fact that they're naked. But this is chapter 2. There's no sin yet. This is chapter 2 where everything is good and everything is holy and everything is pure. And so God is pro-sex. He's the author of it. It was His idea. He is all for it. 
Okay? That's the first point. God is pro-sex. The second point is that God is pro-sex in the context of a covenant. But there has to be a context for it. So what is a covenant? A covenant is, uh, to make a covenant, is a, it's a legal way of, of making a new family. So when somebody gets married, they enter into a covenant together. And a covenant involves promises, yes, but the big picture is that you are, you are creating a new family where there wasn't a family. You're creating a family between people who were not family before. And so um, God is pro-sex in the context of, of those covenant promises. Um, if, we, uh, if you look again at verse 24, and this, is the, this, is, this verse I'm just going to come back to a lot. So the, the whole night, if I say Genesis 2, this is really the verse that I'm talking about. Um, this describes that marriage covenant. So you leave your father and mother, you hold fast to your wife, or you're joined to your wife, and they become one flesh. The two become one flesh. It's a progression of events. And this, this happens uh, on a couple of different levels. Okay, So it happens uh, at the family level when, when, a, when a marriage ceremony happens. And, uh, and I talk about this in a lot of the weddings that I do. When the, when the father of the bride gives her away, we're seeing that verse come to life. Because at the family level, the bride is leaving her family and the groom is leaving his family and they are starting a brand new family. A new covenant is being formed. And so that verse happens at the family level. Uh, that verse happens uh, at the, the physical level in the sense that like, she moves out of her parents' house or wherever she was living. And he moves out of his parents' house wherever he was living. And so like, physically they leave their father and mother. And they are joined to one another and the two become one flesh. Uh, it happens at the emotional level. Because instead of uh, being under the covering of their parents, they now come together and they are other one, one another's covering and the husband covers them and Jesus covers them. And so emotionally, they're, they're saying, I'm no longer putting the needs of my family first. Uh, I'm putting the needs of my spouse now before the needs of my family. And so there's an emotional leaving and joining together and becoming one that happens. Uh, it happens spiritually. So each child is, is under the spiritual covering of their parents. So they're leaving that spiritual covering and they're forming a new uh, covering. That happens as well. Um, so it happens at all those levels, but it also happens sexually. That, that you leave your father and mother and you are joined together and the two becoming one. There's a union that happens there that only makes sense in the context of this new covenant family that's been formed. It, it only, it, the, the connections that are made sexually only make sense where there are, are promises that those, uh, that that union is a reflection of. It doesn't make sense outside of that. And so within the context of a covenant, that's what's going on. And so um, there's, let me present what, it might not be new to you, but it may be new. Uh, let me give you two, two kind of ways to think about sex inside of a marriage covenant. One um, and this is something that, uh, that Tim Keller talks about. He talks about sex is, is a sacrament. So a sacrament is, is an outward sign, uh, an outward action that reflects something that's happened inwardly. Okay? It's a sacrament. Um, and, and to parallel that is to think of sex as, as covenant renewal. That when, when a couple has sex, they are, um, they are reliving, reenacting, reminding each other 
of the covenant promises that they have made. That that's what's going on. That from God's perspective, that's a part of what sex was created for, is a, is a, a sacrament as covenant renewal between a husband and a wife. Um, and so, this, this is probably going to be a strange connection at first, but it's only strange because we still have, uh, we have an impure understanding of sex. Okay, so uh, push that, the, the impure part, let's put that to the side for a second, and just, just think in, in the purity of what God, how God designed it. Okay, um, go with me on this, and maybe this might help, help understand a little bit. Um, I often talk about whenever we baptize someone that baptism is like a wedding ceremony. Okay, you get up in front of everyone at, at both of those events, and you are p- making public uh, something that has already happened inwardly. You're telling, you're letting the whole world know exactly what has gone on, and you're making certain promises for for everybody to see. And so it's this public display of what has already happened internally, um, and so. Uh, so a wedding ceremony is kind of like baptism in that sense, all right? So if a wedding ceremony is kind of like baptism, then sex is kind of like the Lord's Supper. That every time we, every time we take communion, it's like it's covenant renewal for us, you know? So you have like the table that's there with the bread and the wine and... Uh, you know, we've done it a lot of different ways over the years of the ring and sometimes... Uh, you know, sometimes you come forward and get it at different times, and other times we pass it or, or whatever. But, but when, you, when you sit there and you have that, that little cup and you have that little piece of bread and you're led through taking communion, what you're essentially doing every single time is you're, 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 putting, a, you're putting an action, an outward sign um, into motion that is a reflection of what's already gone on in your life. You're renewing that covenant and that devotion to the Lord, and that understanding of who He is, and who you are because of Him, and all that stuff. And every time we do that, it's like, it's, it's renewal. It's renewal. It's renewal. And so, if wedding is like a baptism, then sex is kind of like the Lord's Supper. And then every time a couple inside that covenant has sex, it should be a renewal of those promises, and, that, and the commitments that they have made to one another. Now, I know that probably seems like a weird comparison, but like I said, it's only because we aren't, thinking in, we aren't thinking purely all the time about what sex is. But if we have a Genesis 2 mindset about sex as opposed to a Genesis 3 mindset, then we see that this is, this is like a gift that God has given um, to couples inside of that covenant. Um, so that's the second point. God is pro-sex. That's the first point. Second point. He's pro-sex with, within a covenant relationship. So the third point is, is uh, made clear all throughout the Bible. And we're not going to turn to all the places where it says this. Um, but it's, it's there that if, if he's pro-sex w- within a covenant relationship, and he's against sex that happens outside of that covenant relationship. And this is one of those things where people grow up in church, you hear, you know, don't have sex before you're married. Don't have sex before you're married. And it's over and over and over and over and over again that we hear that. It's not always explained why. And so let me take just a second to make sure we're all on the same page about that. Uh, this is another Tim Keller thing. And I'll probably reference him a lot because I think, I think he is the best communicator ever. Uh, and he, he, 
he's just so good. And so um, this is this is he uses the word integrity. And I think to me that that makes a lot of sense. That sex inside of a covenant it has a lot of integrity because it's consistent with the promises that have been made. So sex outside of marriage. It just doesn't make sense because there's no integrity to it. Because there are no promises that you are reminding each other of. There's no connection that you're reinforcing. Um, it, just, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any logical sense. And so outside of those covenant promises, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. And so what God is doing when He's saying, don't have sex before you're a part of a marriage covenant, he's protecting us from, uh, from the confusion that comes from all that stuff. And we'll get to that stuff in a little bit. But it just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. And so God's not trying to uh, keep people from having fun or deprive you of something or any of that kind of like whatever. He's saying, look, you're, you're not ready for this. There's a certain context, and until you're there, this is only going to bring you harm. And it's only going to cause a struggle. And so, when, I, when we talk about sex outside of a covenant, that, let me give you a list of what this would include. Um, this would include uh, with a stranger. This would include with a friend. That casual hooking up, whatever. This would include people who are dating. This would include people who are engaged. And I know that's like a tough place to be because it's just, it's just a transitional deal. Um, but you haven't made those promises yet. Like you haven't. You haven't. You think you have, but you haven't. Um, and this also would be um, when you were alone. I'll just leave that at that. That all those things together, that all, all that stuff is outside of the covenant. And so God says, you're just, you're just not ready for this gift when you're outside of that covenant. So he says, flee from that. So God is pro-sex. God is pro-sex inside of a covenant relationship. He's against sex outside of a covenant relationship. Uh, and the, the, fourth, the fourth thing is that uh, in, in this area of life, we see a lot of goodness from God. And, and we, have to, we have to see it th- this way. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of us probably do, but um, I know that there are a lot of people um, who have a lot of pain that they walk around with because of this aspect of life. Um, and, and I get that. And so sometimes it's hard to sit there and listen to this, to this description of like, God, is, He created sex, and it's good, and it's pure, and it's covenant renewal, and it's this, and it's, it's all these kind of things. And the whole time you're sitting there, and you're like, well, this has only brought devastation and pain to my life. And sometimes it's because, because you uh, have, have acted on those things, because you have engaged in sexual activity outside of a covenant. Um, sometimes you knew better, sometimes you didn't, whatever. Uh, sometimes it's because you were, some of, it's because you're a victim of someone else acting. 
of someone else uh, taking advantage of you or whatever. Um, I can just I can just keep listing all these things, but so I know that this like some don't like this subject being taught in church because they think it's taboo, and some of some don't like it because it's just too painful, you know. And so I want to in, encourage you who would look at this aspect of life as a source of pain. Uh, I want to encourage you to to try and see this as a gift. To try and to see this aspect of life as a gift from the Lord. And, and this is what I mean. Um, the pain and the devastation and the, all that stuff. It seems so unrepairable in our world, you know. Um, and even though God has, he's, he's set up, you know, boundaries and... He's, he's really laid everything out there for us so that we know uh, how to keep from being hurt. We live in a fallen world where we get hurt. But he looks at that and he says, I know that you think this is unrepairable, but I can, I can fix this. And I will fix this. And so how, how can I say that this is a gift, that this area of life is a gift? Because we're able to see God graciously care for us in our wounds. And that baggage that we carry around, our good shepherd is able to come and care for us well and lead us down a path of righteousness, lead us through healing. Let that forgiveness that we talked about last week really soak up into our lives and see that he doesn't hold it against us. You know, that He doesn't make us pay for what we did. He doesn't make us pay somehow for what was done to us. That in this area of life, there's a tremendous amount of healing that's possible when, when we let Him be our Good Shepherd. That's part of the problem. Is a lot of times, people, we don't see goodness in this area of life because, because we're so ashamed of some of those things. We try to hide those things and we, we keep them in their little compartment. And that's just not how God works. And so I would challenge you to, to see the potential for goodness in the area of sex and sexuality in your life. With your past, uh, with your present, with your future. Um, to see this for what it is. So that's one way that we see uh, the goodness of God as a gift in sex the other way is the fact that he, like, he made us this way. Like he, he didn't have to do this. You know? He didn't have to make sex fun and pleasurable. He didn't have to make covenant renewal uh, like, be something that is like, sought after the way that, that sex is. He could have just made the human body to have like, none of those things. You know? like it didn't, he just didn't have to do it. I don't know how to, a better way to say it without getting awkward. But he didn't have to do it that way. But he did. Why? Because he's awesome. I mean, he's just, he's just so good to us. And so, for us to, for us to have a, a Genesis 3 kind of mindset and to see it as something, as a source of pain and struggle and, and strife and even something that's like, like dirty or, or something like whatever, um, 
we're failing to see it as the gift that it is. We're failing to see the healing and the forgiveness and the restoration that He wants to bring about in this area of life. We're struggling to see what every good gift is designed to do, which is to point back to our Lord. Sex is supposed, it's supposed to do that. Whether, whether you're on the extreme of, of enjoying it within the context of marriage, or whether you're on the other side and you're like, this has been the most painful aspect of life, that entire spectrum, he wants to bring all of us together and learn to see that this is something that we're supposed to look at and say, isn't our God good to us? It's a gift to us. It's one that the enemy in our flesh has hijacked and made it into something completely twisted. And I, th- I believe that Jesus is, is undoing all that for us. If you're, on, if, if you're dealing with the pain and all that kind of stuff, or if you're, if you're like trying to understand it within the concept, wherever you are, I think that God says, I want to take this and I, I want you to see it for what it is. It's supposed to be a gift that helps you to see how good I am. And so, with that in mind, and this might seem kind of strange, we're going we're gonna to sing a little bit. So Cody's going to come. He's going to lead us in a song or two that I think can, because I think we need to respond to this before we go on, because I think we need to, in a, in a very mature way, acknowledge that we don't see sex as a gift from our good God. But that we want to, you know? To ask for His help to see exactly just how good He is to us and the potential there for all that healing and forgiveness and and to bring us from Genesis 3, whatever that looks like, to bring us back into Genesis 2, to sing it as pure and holy and good. Um, so let's, let's stand together. I just want to pray for us. And we're going to res- just respond a little bit. Lord, we need your help. Uh, and it's not just, not just with this. But we know that all the gifts that you have given to us are, are there to point back to you and who you are. And so, Lord, we need your help to move from that Genesis 3 mindset and seeing it as connected to to sin and all that weird stuff to bring us back into Genesis 2 to see as something you've designed, something that is pure and good, something that you can redeem the way we think, the way we approach this. So help us, Lord, to see this as a gift. And you've, I mean, you've given us nature to point back to you and to see you in, in the creation around us. God, you've given us gifts of relationships and friendships that are supposed to point back to you. Even things like the way that food tastes or the way that flowers smell or the way that certain art just moves moves us deeply and the way that 
music can make us emotional. All these things, God, they're all gifts. And our sexuality is a part of that. It's supposed to point to you. It's not supposed to point to something weird. It's supposed to, to bring us back to you. And so help us, Lord, to make that shift from Genesis 3 back to Genesis 2. We can't do that on our own. And so pray that as we respond through song that we'll, you'll help us to see the, really the, the wholeness that is ours because of, of what you have done. And the truth is that we don't really need, we don't need those gifts to be complete. We are complete in you, that you, you're all that we need. And so all this stuff, everything that I've just listed, it's all just extra stuff that you've piled onto us because you're just awesome. And so as we sing, I would pray, Lord, that you would do what we can't do, which is uh, uproot those lies and replace some of those things with truth.